0: you're listening to the psychedelic invest podcast where we speak with founders ceos investors advisors experts and thought leaders in the brave new world of psychedelics and entheogenic medicines brought to you by psychedelic invest bringing you unparalleled psychedelic investing data and analysis. Psychedelic Invest is the industry's leading resource for those looking to invest in the burgeoning psychedelic industry. For more information and to access all of the podcast episodes, check out our website at psychedelicinvest.com/podcast. And now here's the host of the Psychedelic Invest podcast, Bruce Eckfeld.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is the Psychedelic Invest Podcast. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guests today are Eric and David Ron. They are with Ron & Associates. They are working on insuring psychedelic companies and the work that they do, a fascinating area of this space. I think one of the fascinating things about psychedelics is just all the different kind of things that we haven't thought about in terms of the nature of businesses and services that need to go into making this industry work. Insurance, obviously, is a big one. It's a big one for any industry, a big one for every business. And we're just now kind of getting around to figuring out how do we do this for psychedelics. And Eric and David have been working on this and figuring out how to help companies with insurance services, insurance needs that are dealing with psychedelics. So I'm excited for this conversation, excited to hear their thoughts and hear their story and how they got into this space. So with all that, Eric, David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Before we dig into what you're doing today with the insurance space and psychedelics, I'd love to get a little sense of the background. How did you two get involved in insurance? How did psychedelics come up? Give us the backstory.
2: Well, I started my insurance career about 15 years ago after being in regulated casino gaming for 25 years of my life. So moving it to cannabis was just another regulated industry for us. Yeah we specialize in hard to place insurances. We like emerging markets. We like specialty markets. And we look at the emerging psychedelic market, we like to call plant medicine or natural medicines. Mm -hmm. And we see that is probably one of the next growth industries really related to, you know, the
1: nutriscience and mental health. Yeah. And David, what was your background? How did you get involved in this?
3: So before getting into insurance, I was operating a logistics program for a startup company and at the same time amendment two had just passed in the state of Florida and I was, you know, bouncing off some ideas with Eric Mm -hmm. and I came across, well, you're a specialty insurance broker. The cannabis industry is a special industry. You do have some experience with that sort of industry. Why not expand on this? Because the the political landscape of cannabis at that time was growing. I mean, it just got into Florida and then Massachusetts was next. And then the rest of New England, the rest of the West Coast. So we decided to break out and provide insurance services and products for the uh, cannabis industry. Makes sense. We, We saw a lot of success in the cannabis industry, and then we saw the psychedelic market coming up on the horizon, and we thought, why not apply what we did to the cannabis industry to the psychedelic industry? And I feel like that they both go hand in hand, seeing how they're both plant medicine.
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about regulated industries because you mentioned a couple of different ones here. Give me some insights in terms of you know going from gaming, you know obviously highly regulated but also fairly established, right? The, the gaming has been around for a long time and yeah, there's been kind of changes and twists, but reasonably you know established industry with protocols and successful businesses and operators and that world into cannabis, which obviously new. I mean it's been around in a couple of states for a while, but Different kind of highly regulated, but different in terms of its structure and the state-by-state nature. And then now we're looking at psychedelics, you know, which are just started to kind of enter various kind of legal formats and you know anticipated legal formats. Give me a little compare and contrast between these different markets and what you've learned in terms of doing business in these areas and how they relate and how they're different.
2: You have to look at the whole supply cycle and the. the ECHO, the biosphere of psychedelics. Yeah. We have drug development companies who need to follow a strict FDA, DEA development protocol and some to get approved. Mm-hmm. And so, in that sense, the research that's going on presently is no different than any other pharmaceutical company trying to get through a drug development project. So... Securing that type of insurance has been pretty straightforward in the nutriscience fields Then we start getting into things like ketamine clinics, which ketamine is an approved medicine. And these clinics are now starting to pop up and we're helping them get the necessary insurances they need for their clinics, such as property, general liability, but most importantly, professional liability, along with some product liability. And Dave can go into more detail about the product specifics. Yeah. We then also get involved with therapists, mental health counselors, sitters, trying to find liability insurance for them so that they can start dealing with sitting with people, ministering journeys, especially Mm -hmm. since a lot of this is happening in the telehealth world. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just need a physical presence.
1: Yeah. I guess, what are you finding? I mean, these models are kind of new, they're morphing, evolving as we go. How do you actually, I guess, what's the process you go through to figure out what the nature of the business is, what the exposures are, what kind of coverage is needed? How do you underwrite that coverage? I mean, mean, how do you even kind of approach this?
2: So we look at it from a lot of different angles, but a lot of it, we don't have a lot of data on this. And so that's what puts it into the high-risk specialty markets. But within that, you know, again, we break down the different areas of being insured and we look at the risk and try to relate it to, you know, other types of risk or commercial types of risk like a masseuse or a therapist or a home health aide. They come across the same type of risk dealing with individuals, you know, and their personal liabilities at risk.
1: And what, when you, this is, I'm curious how you compare a, a massage therapist to um, a therapist doing, uh, say, a ketamine assisted psychotherapy session. How,
0: oh, I mean, how you is it know, different? You
2: know, when you're looking at it from that standpoint, we just look at what are the activities this person is doing. They're going from house to house or they're going from spa to spa or clinic to clinic. In no way do we, want to mean the, the education and the licensing procedures. All that is critical in in trying to get somebody insured. How much certification they have? Hours of training? Are they under state review? Again, all these things come into play.
1: So you basically collect all this information, and and then how do you actually come up with a I don't know some kind of risks or how how do you kind of quantify that?
2: Yeah, sure. So that that's not our job. That's for the actuaries and the yeah the insurance companies. But for what we know is there's up three thousand people out there requiring this coverage in one floor or another in one capacity or another yeah one thing we really didn't talk about were the offshore retreats the sybacybin retreats well yeah so let's
1: let's talk about yeah I guess give us the 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 range <laughs> of of types of situations that you even can see in time excel because I'm not I'm not even sure that we're like we even realize kind of the the types of things that come into play that need insurance and what the different categories are. Just walk us through kind of the all the categories that you've seen and then that you've dealt with in terms of providing insurance.
3: Yeah, so the coverages that we do provide, it does come in what's called a package product, and that package product consists of three different layers of coverage. So there's your professional life. Now, what your professional liability does it covers the errors and admissions that your licensed medical professionals who are administering the medicines mm-hmm. they are covered in their professional capacity up to one million dollars per occurrence and up to a three million dollar aggregate. And that also includes not only their professional liability but also any sort of sexual abuse allegations as well because that also ties into yeah. you know professional conduct, in types of care and things like that yeah the next level of coverage is your general liability now your general liability usually comes with a one million dollar per occurrence two million dollar aggregate this one is one million dollar per occurrence and a three million dollar aggregate and you're also getting one million dollars limit in coverage for product liability as well because Where we're seeing, especially in ketamine infusion clinics, ketamine is a prescribed FDA-approved drug. The product is known. It's not like, you know, something like CBD or Kratom or things like that. This is actually a medical product, and if the patient gets sick, they are covered up to $1 million for the product liability if they're getting, you know, ill or something else happens because of the effects of ketamine that wasn't therapeutic in the path of care. Interesting. Now, and then the last layer is cyber coverage, You know, which really does tack on to the general liability as well. It's more or less your general liability for while you're in cyberspace. I mean, a lot of these medical professionals are collecting not only customer health data, but customer payment data as well over the internet. Um, they may be sharing IP uh through cyberspace through file sharing and things like that. So we go down and we break down each of the individual cyber coverages or breaches or um patient property damage, things like that. And we put that all under a three million dollar aggregate as well.
1: Got it. So you're basically trying to classify these it's a little bit of a mapping of where is the risk and what coverage is it going to get assigned to and then what's the you know what is what is appropriate coverage given the nature of the Profession and the individual and what they need to be insured for exactly yeah. What can you not insure at this point? Like what what are things that come up reasonably in the course of these kind of businesses that are, are is just uninsurable right now. So in any the way?
2: things that we're looking at at the moment and really are really on the forefront of new products we're trying to, is now that the laws in Oregon have been passed, we're trying to get coverage for psilocybin for the product itself, for the growers, yep. the, the the facilities that are going to be allowing licensed therapists to do their sessions, and anybody who's getting involved within that supply chain, so to speak, from the doctors to the facilities to the product being administered to the sitters who are, and the therapists who are administering these these journeys, so we see that we are able to ensure companies that are operating offshore. We do some retreats in Jamaica, Costa Rica, in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. That's been an interesting growth market for us. Yeah, telehealth, a lot of telehealth, uh, running journeys, microdosing,
3: at home, ketamine therapy. Have oh, yeah.
2: ketamine therapy. So again, I think we're just scratching the surface of where this is going to go over the next ten to twenty years.
1: Yeah. Well, and what I guess, how does the, the sort of legal framework play into this? I mean, I, so we've got, you know, ketamine is legally prescribable. I mean, we're using it on an off-label format, but you know, can be done by clinics. You know, that seems to be the, the compound molecule that people are using in, uh, you know, develop these clinics and with the kind of the idea being is we can drop in new compounds and molecules as things get approved. But what, like how does some of these other, you know, the use of psilocybin and some of these other compounds, which, you know, the legality is a little complicated, depends on the situation and the state and whether what's the state and the city have Criminal, decriminalized or you know allowed in different ways, but still be federally legal. How do you sort through all the legal issues? So that's what we do as brokers.
2: We sort through the fact from the fiction, mm-hmm. and then we present it to our underwriters. By an example: we we sure a few U.S. companies that do psilocybin telehealth and then run treat, retreats down in Jamaica. Well, psilocybin is not illegal in Jamaica. So the underwriters are happy to underwrite the professionals when they travel to Jamaica to put
1: on their retreats interesting so you're you're able to kind of uh frame up the legal issues for an underwriter to clarify for them where where the legal lines are drawn and what the activities are that these people are conducting, and kind of confirm that yes, what they're doing is Legal <laughs> in the uh, from a structural point of insurance, like the law, is very black and white, yeah. and it tells
2: you what they'll pay for a <laughs> loss right. mm-hmm. and what they and what they exclude, and the devil's in the details.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. Our underwriters love as much data as you can give them. I mean, the more information that you're able to give your underwriter, the better chance that you're premium is not gonna skyrocket or the better chance that you actually get the absolute specific comprehensive coverage that you need. I mean, we saw a lot of this um especially in cannabis. We still see it in cannabis today, you know, mm-hmm. with laws being passed and also decriminalization and hopefully a future descheduling. But look at the CBD market and novel cannabinoids. I mean, that is a huge, a lot of people in the cannabis industry like to call it a murky gray area because, you know, it is available by, it is still yet to be determined, is it safe and effective? And if it's safe and effective, can it be insured?
1: Yeah. I'm curious, are you finding it easier to actually insure things in, in psychedelics than cannabis? Or what's the compare and contrast there?
2: I think I'd like the psychedelic industry better because and it has that medicinal pathway yeah you know with cannabis it's still the wild wild west because the regulators don't really understand what was written and what they're supposed to enforce and so there's always going to be a challenge to that until the regulators can get their acts together
1: yeah yeah, it is. It is interesting to see you know psychedelics really going down that FDA approval process, or you know much more likely. And why do you think that is? Is there any insight you have in terms of working with some of these companies why psilocybin or why the psychedelics might do that and cannabis not?
2: I just think there's been more research in these fields, whether they were in the forefront of activity or not. Seems to be a lot more information, and the results are are far re- far more reaching than cannabis. You know, cannabis. Has great medical attributes, but also has a large recreational following. Yeah, where a lot of these new products and new studies are more geared towards breaking through some of the mental health barriers that you know we're seeing post pandemic.
1: Yeah, I'm curious about the underwriters. How, how, I guess, who has been interested in underwriting this work? What, what have been their concerns? Uh, is this just business as usual for them, or are you, you know, finding people that really need to kind of know or understand or have a connection to the to psychedelics to do this? Would Give me some insights on that side.
2: So for the most part, then we're dealing with companies who have been in the health, nutrition science uh, world. That's what they do. And so within their book, they have their low, medium, and high risk ventures that they take on. And yeah. obviously, psychedelics is in that new high-risk area, but they want to stay in the forefront and be first to market. You know, I think premiums are reflective of assumed risk at this point until we get more data. Yeah.
1: And what I guess what data would we need to actually change, you know, improve, I guess, the uh, or make the underwriting process more accurate or, or more reasonable?
2: Well, the one thing we, and it's a positive, is because we don't have a lot of data, it doesn't mean there's a lot of claims out there. Not yeah. a lot of claims. This means it's a pretty safe risk.
1: Yeah. Have we seen any claims?
2: Well, we have to turn it on its head.
1: Yeah. Have, have there been any claims so far related to psychedelics that relate to this?
2: Um, mostly, but just public companies. Some of these startup public companies, just you know, inexperienced management making bad public statements, overreaching oh, their findings, trying to pump up their stocks. We see a lot of companies run run out of money. That gets them into trouble, then getting bad into bad mergers or having to assign their IP for royalty. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a pretty aggressive and competitive world out there
1: in this field. Yeah, and who's who's coming to you for coverage, right? Who, who's actually reaching out and saying, "Hey, I, I'm you know we're operating a business, uh, or I'm you know professionally." active in this space in some way. I would like to get coverage. Who are the people who are actually thinking about this risk and looking to offset it?
2: Well, I think we're a little more proactive than that. You know, we got involved with Ida Investments early on and helping them with their portfolio companies. We attend a lot of these psychedelic conferences. We get ourselves in front of you know what I consider the top tier companies. So we, we seek out our clients. <laughs> we're a very boutique <laughs> firm we just don't take everybody that comes knocking on the door uh-huh. and word of mouth is just kind of grown. But now we've lo- launched our new website for uh-huh. all those who want to, are interested in this dot com. So science. Yep.
1: Yeah. And that's focused purely on, uh, insuring psychedelic, psychedelic insurance. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And I guess, where do you see this going? I mean, uh, Clearly, you're sort of uh, on the cutting edge here. I mean, are the all the major brokers going to start covering this? Is this always going to be a niche kind of situation? Where, where do you see the psychedelic insurance, uh, business insurance market going in the future?
3: I see the psychedelic business going in the future. First of all, the implementation of other psychedelics besides ketamine and psilocybin. I would consider those are the two top players at the moment. Right behind them, we have you know ayahuasca and DMT, mm-hmm. and then LSD. So there and other formulations, you know, that have you know yet to really be discovered. And I see that happening first, where we you know level the playing field in that way. And then I see, especially with the retreats, an increase in psychedelic tourism. Yep. An increase in psychedelic research and more and more medical professionals can now have this treatment in their back pocket and they can get qualified so that their uh, medical malpractice insurance includes uh, plant medicines like ketamine and psychedelics.
1: Yeah.
2: I think the other thing I see is this is a generational medicine. Mm -hmm. It started in the 60s and 70s and then it skipped a couple of generations. Really, what has to happen? It's it's for the millennials. It's well, so the older generation has to get out of the way and pass the right laws to get this stuff moving to help with you know the future medical illness issues that
1: we're all going to be
2: confronted with. And we really have to take take a real serious approach to these alternative medicines.
1: Yeah, I mean, what do you think are the big bottlenecks right now? Is it is it the regulatory process? Is it the drug development process? Where where do you see the bottlenecks in the industry?
2: I think it's uh it's the old guard. Yeah. Legislation. Now, just say no to drugs. Yeah. We we hey. gotta deschedulize some of these things so that we can start advancing their usage
1: and yeah. study and education. What have been some of the interesting companies that you've uh, worked with at this point? Any anyone of note or any anyone doing some interesting work? Either generally or specifically?
2: Well, we do with Beckley Retreats, which we consider, mm-hmm. you know, on the forefront of this industry. We have Myself Wellness, which is a ketamine clinic on Tampa. Give a shout out to Christina there. And uh, we're on Boulder, Colorado with Medicinal Mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And uh, down in Austin, Texas, we have Choose Your Own Health. So, and then you know, we've been dealing with Silo Wellness and their endless pursuit to bring aside into Oregon. Um, so, and then, and a host of portfolio companies from some of the private equity firms that, you know, I think would rather not be mentioned on a
1: podcast. Um, I'm sure. <laughs> That's a good. Yes, fascinating space. A lot of people doing some really interesting things. And where, uh, I guess, where do you see your business going or where do you hope your business goes in the next couple of years? Like, who, who do you want to be working with? What kind of work do you want to be doing? How big do you think this market is going to be for you?
2: You know, I think we, were, we see growth in this market. I think it, it's a long-term play. Uh, like I said, I think it's more for David's generation than mine. How it grows and how fast it grows, I think that's pretty much on how fast can we change some of these laws and how fast can some of these drug development companies bring their product to market? And a lot of that is at the
1: behest of the FDA. Yeah, and if if kind of companies out there that are uh, either individuals, professionals, or companies working in psychedelics are out there, what what are the things you think they need to think about when getting, you know, contemplating kind of their risk and where they get insurance and when they get insurance? What are the some things that you'd have them think about?
2: I think all those issues are. That's discussed with a, a qualified broker that understands your business, your your where you sit in the supply cycle, what your funding is, what's your tolerance for risk, and what is your long term goal. And a lot of that is you know, just comes through having a good understanding of your business and where you fit within the business cycle.
1: Eric and David, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about uh, what's the best way to get that information? Dave?
3: Yeah. So the best thing to do is check out our website, dot or I can be reached at my email, david at ron,
1: R-A-H-N, associates.com. Great. I'll make sure that the links and email is in the show notes so people can get that information. Eric and David, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you so much, Bruce.
0: Thank you for listening to the Psychedelic Invest podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and leave us a review. You can find more episodes on all the major podcasting platforms and our website at psychedelicinvest.com slash podcast.